Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. Since 2013, Diversified Rehabilitation Group has been a lifeline for first responders, veterans, and their families. Diversified offers personalized residential treatment for PTSD, post-traumatic stress injuries, anxiety, and depression. The Diversified team brings rich clinical expertise and has a strong understanding of first responders and veterans' unique culture, values, needs, and work settings. Diversified delivers tailored and immersive healing solutions for enduring mental health well-being. For more information, visit ptsdrecovery.ca. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast, a podcast created for and aimed at all members of law enforcement. I'm Brittany Schroeder, editor of Blue Line magazine. Today, I'm joined by Chief Mental Health Officer Derek Shenko, who is a certified police chaplain who holds a master's in military psychology. He's also a certified Canadian vocational rehabilitation professional, as well as a return to work and disability management professional. Derek is a post-traumatic stress disorder survivor, and mental health is where we'll be focusing our conversation today. I'm thrilled to be having this important conversation with you, Derek, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I sincerely appreciate that opportunity. Uh, Derek, I, I'd like to talk about the mental health of first responders and specifically police officers. This is something that I've talked about in Blue Line, the podcast before, and that's why you and I are going to be looking at slightly different aspects of this mental health topic. So first, I'd like to know if in recent years, has there been an increase in the number of officers being diagnosed with PTSD and depression and anxiety? Well, um... This is, I would say, it's a continuum, unfortunately, currently there's a high rates of mental health difficulties among uh, police professionals are well documented and have widespread uh, negative consequences. Uh, National Canadian Survey found that 37% uh, of municipal, provincial, and 50% of uh, federal police officers uh, were positively screened for mental health uh, disorders. A separate, separate meta-analysis report indicated uh, that about 50% of police officers screen for <clears throat> post-traumatic stress disorder, 14% for depression, uh, depression, 11% for anxiety disorder, and 25% for hazardous drinking. Moreover, according to 2020 studies, the su suicide ideation uh, rate among Canadian Police, police officers also very alarming. When asked questions like, have you ever attempted suicide? About 538 police officers respond yes to that. Have you ever made a plan to, to attempt suicide? 223 police officers said yes to this. And um, have you ever attempted suicide? 45 uh, confirmed yes as well. And in 2019, uh, six police officers in Canada took their lives. So it's a very alarming uh, concern. Some of the contributing factors to that, to that are occupational stress, for example, exposure to traumatic situations such as <clears throat> car accidents, murder scenes, child abuse, 
sexual uh, assaults reporting responding to current mental health crisis that our society is facing and uh, and violence can leave officers vulnerable to psychological issues such as anxiety uh, depression ptsd substance use disorder that directly results from activities performed in their line of duties uh, organizational <clears throat> organizational stress it's another contributing factor organizational stressors often cause serious challenges uh, for police officers stressors such as um, understaffing lack of resources uh, promotion processes and organizational culture uh, are leading uh, components in, in those areas. So for example, mental health stigma would be one of them. Even though it's less common today, but it's still very alive. Nobody talks about it, um, but things are not okay. And it's hard for police officers to reach out for help. Another uh, organizational stressor is authoritarian, narcissistic, and unpredictable leadership. Leaders, in my opinion, have a critical role to play in contributing to conditions for a positive mental health, whether their own or their employees. Well, I, I, I strongly believe that whether you are a C uh, suit leader or upper management, middle management, entry level, boots on the grounds or, or board of directors, you are either contributing to your organization to flourish or, or, or the opposite from that. Uh, various uh, reviews shows that often police officers tend to rank organizational stressors higher than operational stressors uh, as a source of their anxiety. Uh, new information from the Workplace Institute indicates that almost 70% of people uh, feel that their managers have more impact on their mental health than their therapists and their doctors. So obviously, as a leaders, uh, we have a great opportunity here to impact uh, wellness of our, of our police officers and at the same time leaders as well. A positive word and an act of support uh, can be, is very empowering and frequently goes way uh, further than, than, than not talking about that. Organizational culture is another contributing factor. Police officer can encourage uh, police culture, frequently encourages supportiveness and teamwork, and compel police to hold them to the high, to themselves to the higher standard. However, it can also translate to toughness, cynicism, and extreme loyalty. In a work environment uh, that prizes toughness and stoicism, mental health can be perceived as a weakness. Therefore, officers may not feel very comfortable coming forward. And if they don't come forward, they, they suffer in isolation. And so it's just them and whatever what they are going through. Witnesses such as behavior by other police officer, whether uh, they are new recruits or more mature, may impact their uh, ability to come forward. Uh, let's not talk about that. I then then be uh, criticized because of it, or uh, or that they worry that may impact their career moves as well. It can also prevent them uh, from reaching out help as well, um, because uh, they can't have the tendency of suppressing things. Thank you so much for, for providing all of that context and statistics as well. Like 
those are quite staggering numbers of these people. I'm just wondering how many of these might be self-diagnoses versus being diagnosed by a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And is there a danger in self-diagnosing? Uh, it is. Uh, I think it's important to, to notice that statistically, one in third Americans uh, has searched their own uh, on their own what's what's going on with them or what's wrong with them, uh, whether it's a mental health illness or any physical conditions. Um, I think generally it's a good idea to do that, but it can also create some uh, big question mark or put you put you at danger. While knowing more information uh, about certain symptoms can be useful, it can also potentially be uh, misleading and very harmful. Mental health, you know, I think we need to understand that mental health uh, illness or disorders, conditions, however you want to call them, uh, it's a very complex topic. Uh, and just having... Uh, an opportunity to search the internet not necessarily offers you the right diagnosis or the right answers. I do believe that's a good first step forward to, as an individual, to see what's going on with you, but it can also lead, uh, commonly call, uh, we call this commonly as a cyber hondria, uh, where you get to the point where you're continuously searching for an answer and what's wrong with you and how you can help yourself that this by itself create, creates even more stress for you. So uh, the best plan of action, in my humble opinion, is to go and search the internet, but go and get set, get help with a uh, trusted professional who is experienced in that area to find out what's uh, what's going on with you and how you can uh, develop a treatment plan with the support of that professional to help you to get better. I love that. You know, start on the internet, but you know, don't just stay there. Just you need to to talk to someone as well. Um, kind of building off of that, how often are officers seeking out professional help? And then on the other hand, because of potential stigmas around asking for help, how often are they staying quiet? Well, I think we need to take a little bit step back here and look at the general population. Uh, at large, we as a human beings or population are reluctant to admit or to seek help right away. A recent study indicates that uh, delays in seeking help for treatment, for example, for mood disorder ranges from six to eight years. Uh, and for uh, anxiety disorder, anywhere from nine to 23 years. And for PTSD, uh, anywhere from 12 and up. And police officers are uh, known to be even more reluctant uh, than general population to seek help uh, when it comes to mental health uh, support. There are very uh, a number of reasons why the delay is taking place. Uh, frequently, they think that there's nothing wrong with them. Um, they may also feel uh, that they can address this by themselves. Another con uh, factor, contributing factor would be uh, view this as a weakness. Uh, and frequently, specifically when it comes to first responders and police officers, admitting that there's something not right with you is perceived as a form of the weakness. Shame, shame plays another very important component. And even though we professionally, from the clinical perspective, we recognize shame as a contributing factor, many uh, police officers and first responders cannot even name it, but this is a very, very alive issue there. Lack of self-compassion, it's another contributing factor. Struggle to be vulnerable, and, uh, and that's mainly related to the 
police officer's job. Uh, vulnerability, we teach them opposite than vulnerability. And all of a sudden, when we, when they are, when we are going through a difficult time and uh, we ask them individuals like police officer to be vulnerable, they don't know how to do that. Uh, and another um, contributing factor um, is finding the right mental health professionals to assist you with that. Many mental health professionals don't fully understand the first responders' struggles and culture, and first responders for themselves uh, are exposed to that risk of being misunderstood or, or not mm, feeling safe to share their stories, what's going on with them. I think that's an, an important thing to remember. It's like not every mental health professional does understand the public safety personnel perspective. So finding someone who does understand that um, is, is really important. So where I'd like to go next is I've seen some studies done by institutions like Harvard and the University of Alberta, and they've found that there is a serious anxiety and depression problem in younger generations such as millennials and Gen Z or Gen Z. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what they may have found? Well, of course, uh, challenges that millennials and Generation uh, Z, uh, as we call them, are facing maybe may have a significant uh, impact on retaining current staff and recruiting new, uh, new staff to law enforcement agencies. Uh, a recent study showed that uh, half of the millennials, age of 24 to 39, said they left uh, their job uh, partially to, to mental health. Uh, so studies also show that during the past decade, uh, drug-related deaths among millennials uh, increased to over 108%, and alcohol-induced deaths rose over 69%. So obviously there's a lot of concerns that this generation is facing, millennials are facing. Millennials are often a number of reasons. Millennials are often reluctant to appear weak when it comes to uh, mental health struggles. They will suppress this to the maximum and not talk about it. They want to make sure that they are successful in the job without realizing that it is actually impacting their job. And the mental health stigma doesn't help. Even though I sometimes feel that we are, uh, we sounds like a broken record now because we cook, uh, frequently bring that mental st st stigma, mental health stigma to light, but it's still very alive. And it varies from organization to organization, from a community to a community, from a person to a person, but it is still there and we need to do a better job for this specific generation, anybody else as well, to overcome the mental, mental health uh, stigma struggles. Uh, many uh, millennials still uh, face judgment uh, from their peers um, when it comes to mental health, not directly calling them on mental health, but talking in general about mental health or sucker up, buttercup, old, old way of old dealing with, or are you what, can you get your S together? Uh, uh, you, you're better than that. So that doesn't help when it comes to reaching out for help. So they, has a, they are hesitant to reach out for help. And also those who are next to them, uh, witnessing the, this and maybe potentially going through similar situations or struggles are not gonna step up to, to, to share that. So it's a snowball effect. It's a vicious circle when one feeds the other. So this generation specifically is struggling with that. And also this is a generation that went through 
through major economic uh, changes within uh, our society, one being uh, 2008 and the market collapse and pandemic that recently we all went through, uh, which doesn't help as well. Um, so this also find an impact them financially and emotionally. Uh, how to how to manage this or how to recover from that? And Generation Z or Gen Z, as we call them, a recent uh, survey two thousand and two. Um, that study the generation age uh, and concluded that uh, individuals age of 19 to 24, uh, they found that 42% are diagnosed with mental health conditions. So that's a high number if you really think about that. And this is our youngest generation that is just entering the labor force or just entered the labor force. Uh, and they're going through, through such a challenging mental health struggles already. So uh, we call this generation, studies call this generation, that this is the most anxious generation uh, of our times. Gen Z and gen anxiety, it's fueled by a number of, of, of things, pandemic being one, technology, social media, and other life stressors. So pandemic definitely created a lot of the social isolation, uncertainties, fear among the generation. Uh, and they are exposed to many different uh, news stories. Uh, one being, uh, they are being bombarded, for example, online news stories about police brutality, environmental stressors, social injustice, and the list goes on and on. So uh, uh, that definitely has a, quite a bit of impact on them. Technology being another another stress. So I lie, unlike like, any previous generation, Gen Z has little or no memory of uh, a world without internet. So I had an opportunity to talk to uh, actually our work setting to uh, one of our youngest administrative assistants. She has no knowledge about internet not being uh, there 20 years ago or 20 or 30 years ago. It's like what? Or, or uh, when it comes to smart, smartphone and social media. So technology is a plays a substantial part in their lives. And study also shows that uh, taking advantage of technology is a good thing, but study also shows that uh, half of the Gen Z that we, that the research in Stanley spent 10 or more hours online, uh, which leads to social isolation. Uh, they struggle with face-to-face uh, -face contact with people uh, because they are not part of that. They are usually online and interacting with the world, but in-person contact is something that is uh, very challenging for them. Uh, social media uh, interaction for Gen Z uh, is very also stressful for a number of reasons, specifically for uh, for women, where there are a number of social platforms that uh, are creating that stress. Do I fit in, or would I have to, to fit in? Whether whether those social platforms are supportive or less supportive, but there's that perception that I better fit in. Um, as you can imagine, TikTok, Snapchat, or whatever that is, that generation is really trying to fit in. Uh, in in what other people are doing, uh, from taking into account what they are already struggling with, that doesn't help them. And another component is to be exposed to cyberbullying. Uh, we we rarely talk about that, but uh, professionally in, in our line of work, we see a number of young 
uh, people coming forward with that concern. It's a real concern for them. On the other hand, uh, this generation uh, is not uh, very shy from bringing their concerns to the world. Um, whether those concerns are about social issues, social injustice, they would be right in your face, uh, letting you know uh, that they are unhappy about this. They want to change the world. This, this, this generation wants to have an impact. And, and they do this in a fantastic way, whether posting about this or if they don't post, they repost. If they don't, uh, if they protest, they post about that. So that, that creates a lot of, a lot of pressure on the society and they are, they know how to bring their uh, issue to the front page. So now when, we, when you think about that, uh, on one hand, they are very, very, um, progressive bringing those issues forward however when it comes to mental health due to all of those struggles that i mentioned uh, they face many challenges so now how do we uh, help them to overcome this that's it's uh, a very uh, use very valid questions that we all need to put uh, forward because you know, whether they are millennials or generation that the world is changing and we need to meet them where they are at, or otherwise we will be in trouble moving forward. Really well said. And you said something right near the beginning there. Just, you know, although that we're, I'm, I'm millennial, so I'll say we, although we're very open to, you know, sharing our thoughts and opinions and, you know, we talk about mental health all the time, there's still such a stigma of coming forward and, you know, if if we're struggling, we might not come forward, even though we've talked about it so much. Um, my next question kind of goes off of these challenges that you were talking about. And, you know, these generations are the ones that are becoming law enforcement recruits right now, and they're, they're joining the law enforcement profession. So how do you think these challenges are going to be affecting these new recruits in, in these roles? And ultimately, you kind of just touched on it there, like are mental health professionals ready for this potential shift in these new recruits? Well, uh, I always uh, ask the people that I have about to converse about the topic, and I ask a very simple question, are we ready? And we are not. So, uh, for a number of reasons, and uh, many millennials uh, already withdrew from policing because of mental health struggle, because of those challenges that are taking place. Gens are uh, Generation Z. Uh, are not very interested in becoming police officers for a number of reasons. They are already facing uh, mental health challenges and struggles and anxiety uh, or stress. Why would they involve in that? View policing as a, a very stressful job. So if you're already dealing with stress, would you go and have more stress? <clears throat> Plus, they are not interested in <clears throat> facing scrutiny and injustice that is currently uh, taking place. And I think also as a society, uh, we need to really take into account what is happening in the media when media when it comes to negative uh, portrayals of police and work uh, doesn't help at all. You know? So as a society, we have we have a big job to do here. We need to change some of these things around, acknowledging what to, what took place that was wrong, but also moving forward with the positive things that that are that are there solutions in my in my humble opinion is definitely go and keep pounding that social 
uh, excuse me, mental health stigma, and revisit mental health stigma from the millennials and from the Generation Z perspective. What that means to them, because that's the not ignoring current people that are in the labor force, but really ask a question: What do we need to do to change that? And so, normalize normalizing mental health in a very broad statement would be one example, but how to do that, go back and ask ask, ask them directly, what do they need? And as an organization, as a, as a leader, uh, as a care provider, as a society, we need to ask, ask that question. Uh, should we... Uh, should we do some? Should we be doing something different than we are already doing to meet their expectations? Um, leaders uh, needs to be more attentive to uh, millennials and generations that needs uh, training. I recall again that's another topic for another podcast. But I really need to. I I feel that we need to design, redesign how we train first responders and police officers to be more attentive to their needs, uh, to make them more resilient. Uh, we need to look at uh, the cult organizational culture, move away from old way of doing things. And I know we are very attached to that, um, but listen to what your people are telling you, right? The best case scenario is uh, listen, Allow yourself as a leader, as an organization, to listen to listen more and engage these people in this decision making process. This is where you would be more successful. Show the support and empathy. I know that uh, in the first responders world in policing, empathy sometimes is like a foreign word, but it has so much it creates so much opportunity to be there for another human being. Law enforcement organizations need to be do a better job also, or take this to the next level to be there not only for uh, millennials and Gen, Gen Z individuals who are joining or are part of the uh, policing, but they need to also be there for the families. We need to understand that first responder job and policing work or policing work as well impacts the lives of their families. Uh, it changes the uh, with the moment you enter the force, two years, a year from today, you are not the same person. It changes you as an individual. It impacts not only you directly, but also impacts your families. And uh, we need to help uh, first responders, police officers, to be able to go home and have life that each of us enjoys so so beautifully so and allow and make sure that we are there for the family members as well so i i think as an organization as a society we need to go back to the drawing board a second how about engaging and helping those families to also be part of that journey and having an opportunity to teach our first responders how to talk to their families and teach their families how to, to talk to their, to their loved ones as well, and how to support each other. I think this is one of the biggest uh, biggest things that I, I strongly believe we should be getting on as quickly as possible, engaging those individuals into decision-making process, making sure that we restructure the training to meet their needs, 
engage their families, do exactly what uh, actually was introduced, I think, about eight years or 10 years ago in the U.S. Uh, military. It was introduced by Dr. Seligman from the Positive Psychology. He is a guru, if you don't know, uh, if the audience doesn't know who he is, Dr. Martin Seligman, Google him. He's a really, uh, he's a father of positive psychology. He introduced that concept in the U.S. Army uh, uh, of addressing uh, mental health in the following stages, in the pre-deployment stage, before they are being deployed. So that would be when they are deployed, getting trained. Then uh, pre-deployment uh, stage, when they are actually in the force doing the job, when they are deployed, and then when they return from from deployment and that's what goes in the uh, in the circle and it's not only for them but also for their families so if you if we want to be sustainable as, as a society we better get on it so i i know i may sound very strong on that but i am and i based on my experience and my conversation with many other professionals in the field and those who come uh, to get better to our program that's what we hear from them. So we'd be happy to know that. Thank you, Derek. That was so informative. And I think that's a great way to end off our first podcast together. Uh, we are going to be continuing this conversation in the future. And I'm, I'm really glad to have gotten your uh, insights on this, this topic and how it really pertains to mental health in law enforcement. So thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. I sincerely appreciate that opportunity. Uh, for everyone who tuned in, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. You can check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stay up to date on all of your Canadian policing news at blueline.ca. Until next time, stay safe and be well. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 